Well, today, uh, for the first part of our uh, sermon series, for week one, I have entitled the message, You Only Live Once. And if you are under the age of 40, you probably know what that means. It's hashtag, there you go. <laughs> I knew a couple of people were going to say it. In other words, in the social media world, there is an uh, acronym used for this term called, you only live once. You know, as followers of Jesus, we sometimes don't take advantage of prioritizing what God has given us in this life right now. Uh, when you weren't a, maybe following Jesus, you take this, you only live once, and you do things you're not supposed to do. And then you quickly realize that, hey, it's fun when you're in your teens and your late teens and your early 20s and your late 20s and you're getting a little older and you need to get serious in your early 30s and your late 30s and all of a sudden it's going into your 40s and you're like, people are wondering and then it's like late 40s and early 50s and it's no longer a joke anymore, you know, living the wrong way. See, God has a plan for us. God wants us to be better stewards. I have a question for you this morning, and the question is simple. You have one life to live. Are you making it count? You have one life to live. Are you making it count? I just mentioned a few minutes ago. We're never getting 11 o'clock on November 4th back again. Are you making it count with your time? With your giftings, with your treasure, are you making it count? And every day I wake up, I got to be honest, I'm not perfect. My siblings know that. They're sitting right there. The truth is family knows, right? <laughs> Audrey knows I'm not perfect, but I wake up and the Lord has told me to say this one thing. Jesus, would you make my life count today? Sometimes it's routine. Sometimes it's kind of boring. Sometimes it looks like changing diapers when I don't want to. Or if you're like the other husbands, you know, around, you're, you're kind of used to this. You just hand the baby over with the dirty diaper to your wife to change the diaper, right? Sometimes it is Sunday mornings and God's doing incredible things. Sometimes it's leading organizations. Sometimes it's praying for someone and seeing a miracle happen. Sometimes you're on the mountaintop. Sometimes you're in the valley. Sometimes you're climbing and you don't even know where you're at because it's so cloudy and foggy around you. In Luke 12, 42 to 46, Jesus saying and encouraging people to be ready when he comes back. You know, we don't talk about this anymore, that it's not just about when we are born and when we die. We don't talk about the time that, you know, Jesus is coming back and he can come back at any moment. I told the first service this, what if he came back tonight? Are we ready? Are our priorities in order? Are we good stewards of what he has given us and blessed us with and he's empowered us to do? Or are we kind of living life on the edge of regret and success? And whatever the wind does is how we go. What are we doing? So in Luke 12, 42 to 46, he says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. You know, how we steward and how we manage our life and relationship with God means something. Because it means that we could be in possession of God's possessions. Did you know that? That's exactly what the scripture says. The Greek word used in this passage for the word manager or steward is oikonomos, which can be translated to be both steward and manager. But the truth is this. Are we stewarding our life well? And I'm not trying to say, are we trying to be somebody? You know, uh, social media is an amazing place. Uh, you can be famous and be bizarre at the same time. You can do weird stuff and be famous in the culture we live today. 
And as Christians, we have to be aware that our job is not to be famous. It is to make Jesus famous because everything we own, all the intellect, all the emotions, our entire life, every resource, every gift he's given us belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to us. I know sometimes that sounds un-American to say, but our choice has to be, God, this is not my life. This is your life. How do you want me to manage it? In fact, sometimes I think in this category, you should have a statement that says, no leaders allowed, managers only. If you like to lead, sometimes this is a problem because you're saying, God, I want you to come bless what I am doing versus going to where God is already blessing. You know, that's been one of the challenges for me as a pastor, no matter what church I go to, no matter what experience I have. It's simple. I want to be in a place where God is already blessing. And what he did five years ago in my ministry is not what he wants to do right now. Now, I can cut and paste. I can copy and paste. It's easy but I won't be where God is. Do you understand? In your personal life, it's the same way. Are you present? Do you know it's almost the end of 2018? And you're about to have a little bowl with promises from God, a little colored paper that you're probably going to pick up and say, oh God, for 2019, use me more. We're going to do it again. And how did 2018 go? See, I think wishful thinking is just that. Wishful thinking. Until we learn to go to what God has for us, he is not going to go ahead and bless our plan. He only blesses his plan. When I look at my life, I have to be honest, if it wasn't for the good people and the mentors and the people that were a little up in my grill at times, some of them literally, I would not be where I'm at. And there, there are principles to achieve this priority in your life. You're not just going to just say, you know, God, uh, I need a job, Lord. And you're sitting at home on your couch. You don't have a resume. You're not asking the Lord who you need to call. You're not asking the Lord where you need to go or what store or what company or what corporation you need to put your resume into. You're not doing anything. You're just waiting on the Lord. That's not how it works because priority determines the trajectory of your relationship with God. So here's some principles quickly that have achieved priority in my life. First is this, God's ownership. My life is God's ownership. It's simple. What I think I own is really on loan. God created everything, and it belongs to him. I don't know who said that, but that's the truth. My life is not my own. What I think I own is really on loan. God created everything. See, I think in this human life, we sometimes get in the way of God, and we even sometimes Blame the enemy. We even say, the devil tried to take me out, pastor. Well, you hit the snooze button. That's why you almost lost your job. It wasn't the devil. It was your hand. Be like, pastor, you don't understand. I have the strength to do what I need to do. Well, you're out partying on a Wednesday night at 2 a.m. Guess what's going to happen when you have to wake up to go to work or do something? Or someone's asking you to brainstorm an idea. Your brain isn't functioning right. You're too tired. And some of us, were like, well, I don't party, Pastor. I'm just sitting there looking at other people's lives on social media. Be like, oh, my gosh. Have you seen Pastor's little kid? Looks so cute, you know? Oh, my goodness. Scroll, scroll. Oh, my goodness. What is she wearing? What is that? At 2 a.m., if you find yourself doing this, what are we doing with our lives? Priorities matter because God owns our time. God owns our time, not us. We don't get to say 20% here, 10% there, 15% here, 2.5 here. You're not making a decision. You're asking, Lord, what the decision needs to be. 
Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, everything you see and you don't see, every amoeba, every particle, every little atom, he owns it, and it all contains his glory, the world. And guess what? Those who dwell in it. God owns this church. God owns our lives. God owns this city. God owns this nation. God owns this world. That's the bottom line. Ain't nobody going to change it. Whether they preach it or teach it or quiet or we don't say anything about it, this is the truth that God is on high and he's coming back for a bride that is ready and without blemish. He owns my life. I'm owned. I got owned. You know, whenever we're playing basketball and you block somebody's shot, you just got owned. Eric got owned by me a couple of times, you know? <laughs> Seven times to be exact. It was six, but I had to, be, to make it perfect to seven. <laughs> number two, number two, we got to keep going. <laughs> we got to keep going. Number two, here's another principle. My management. Yes, God owns everything, right? But my management of my life matters. I didn't say how I lead my life. God's leading. I'm following. Does that make sense? But my management of my life following matters. He's the master. I'm the manager. Come on, turn to your neighbor or behind you or in front of you. Tell him, he's the master. I'm the manager. Since God owns everything, my role is simply to what? Manage the resources of time, treasure, testimony, and talents that he has graciously entrusted to me. It is a grace on your life to have what you have, to know what you know, to live in the greatest country in the world. Sorry, Canada. Right? My, my siblings live in Canada. Right? That's the bottom line. It is grace that he's given us. We don't wake up excited about that. You know, people ask me all the time why I wake up early and get to church way early, you know? Because honestly, I'm excited about what God's doing in New Song Church, and I'm never going to take that away, but I'm excited about what God's doing in the Curavilla house. You understand what I'm saying? I'm pumped about what God can do through my life, and I just need to go to his plan? Are you kidding me? That's all I need to do? I'll do it. Number three, my trust. Notice that we can be in a posture where we say, God, you own my life. Bless you, Jesus. Bless the Lord. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, all that is within me, right? We say all these things. We can do, okay, God, help me to be a better Christian, and we turn into better managers. That's great. But then the rubber meets the road with this word called trust. Because you can say that God owns everything. You can go ahead and say and believe and manage things the right way. But there's a difference between people that trust God and don't trust God. And the difference is this. It's seen in the answers to questions like this. Number one, do I trust what his word says to do? Not what people say, what his word says to do. Some of us, we need to dive into the word of God. You're lost in your life right now, you might need to read the Bible because his word or the wisdom that you need is in the Bible. It's not some foreign thing that's going to like this dove is going to come into your bedroom at night. You're not going to know, but you're going to hear wind on your face. And all of a sudden, your pillow is going to smell like anointing oil from olive tree in Israel. And all these weird things, all of a sudden, the room's going to be all green. And then $100 bills are going to start falling from the sky. What, what are we doing? We have the word of God right here. We need direction, pastor. I need, I need some help. And that's good. And I want to give that. And I'm always available because I love you guys. And I want to connect with you in a deep way. But have you read this? Do you know that this is better than me <laughs> or anybody here? Do you know that any advice, I don't care how young or old you are in this room, do you know this is better? This is best practice, right? Do I trust him enough to believe that I'll be okay? My goodness. It's not just about being positive, you know? 
positive thinking is great, you know, motivational stuff is great, but the truth is this. You know why we're positive as Christians? Not because we're happy people, but we believe that God is in control and we're going to be okay. So therefore, on Sunday mornings when you come in, you're worshiping and, you know, when Paul's leading and say, I belong to you and maybe the sound's not great and we're missing a bass player and we don't have an electric guitar player, pastor, and an acoustic guitar and we don't have a 50-person choir yet. Notice I said yet. But because of that, it just doesn't sound the same when I read the words, I belong to you. Is that how we operate as followers of Jesus? No. We worship God because he is Abba, Father. We belong to the winning side. That's the bottom line. That's why we do what we do. So I trust you, God. You will take care of my needs. You will take care of our needs. You will take care of the people's needs because he's a big God. When we learn to trust God with all of our lives, stewardship becomes an invitation to intimacy with God. You want to get closer to God? Be a better steward. You want to be closer to the will of God for your life? Be a better steward. I didn't say have a better budget because sometimes God breaks your budget. I didn't say have a better plan because God sometimes does a plan that you don't like. I didn't say go towards perfection where everything is sneaky, squeaky, clean. Because God sometimes has a way of just saying, uh-uh, you're not going here, you're going here. You're not doing this, you're doing this. See, that's why trust is important. Philippians 4.19 says, and this same God, Paul saying, who takes care of me will supply all your needs. So Paul's saying, look, I already know this Jesus. He takes care of me, but he's the same God that you're worshiping too. He can take care of you. Where does this come from? From his glorious riches, which have been given to us in who? That's all we need. Y'all want to know a survival plan for life? It's one name, Jesus. You want to know an economic development plan for a city? It's one name. What is it? Jesus. You want to know how we're going to turn things around? You want to know how? It's in one name. And what's that name? Because when we go to Jesus, he tells us to do things that are contrary to logic and rationale, because that's how faith works. That's who he is. That's what he does. Number four, and the fourth principle. Man, I'm preaching already. This is supposed to be laid back here for the first few points. I was supposed to go (laughs) too quick. Don't stop. Keep going, Sonny. It's always a sunny day in Sunnyville, right? (laughs) Number four, eternal impact. Eternal impact. You know, I don't want to be someone who's efficient and effective and who's blessed. I want to be somebody that has eternal impact. I want to live a life that I can say, even if I was to pass away, that my gravestone would say, this dude did not play games when it came to eternal impact. That my short life would make an impact for eternity. That's how I want to live. When I do trust God and begin to manage his resources according to his instructions, my stewardship has eternal impact. Stewardship is an investment. Every day I intentionally choose whether or not I will invest in things that matter. That's a choice. Things don't just happen. And I realize that sometimes things are out of our control. But the majority of things in our lives are in our control. And we are choosing to. Even if we think we're not making a choice, we're making a choice. And we have two choices, to do what God is asking us to do or not. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that's a whole different subject. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we have two choices, to do what God is asking us to do or not. There is no gray area, folks. Grace and mercy is not for that. Grace and mercy is not for the times that we're continually saying and doing things we shouldn't. Obviously, grace is always there, and mercy is always there. But the truth is, as a follower of Jesus, you have to be who you say you are. 
Are you a son or daughter of the Most High God? How does our vocabulary look? How does our private times look? How does our conversations in secret look? The way that I manage or steward these resources in my life and the people in my life really come down to trust. Do I trust God enough to do with his resources, with his blessings, and with the life that he's given me what only he can do? I love hearing stories about Liberia and Elizabeth, because every time she goes over there, God does these things. See, we're all happy for her. We're excited for her. But there's a reason why things follow people like Elizabeth. It's not because Elizabeth is a special person, even though I believe she is. It's because she's willing to listen to God. She's willing to think about eternity. You want to have a life that matters? Think about eternal impact. If you keep talking about eternal impact and you do nothing, there will be eternity waiting for you. No eternal impact. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've always said this. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in heaven and just being left alone. But the truth is, if we were supposed to be in heaven after we got saved, why didn't we get beamed up as soon as we said a prayer? I mean, some of us probably think we're like Elijah. Why didn't you get taken up to heaven right there? Why did God put you right here, right now, in this city, in this place, with who you are right now? Why? To make an eternal impact. I love this quote. It says, stewardship is the act of organizing your life so that God can spend you. That's the bottom line. That's the priority for principle, the principles for priority that I believe that God has for us. I want us to jump back to Matthew 25, and because of time, I want to make sure that we bring this to a close real quick. Matthew 25, we're going to talk about the parable of the talents. How many of you guys have heard about the parable of the talents? Probably most of us in this room. The parable of the talents is not about the talents of people. It's not about those that are talented enough to sing or dance or paint, or it's not about gifting. It's about something else, actually. It's about the call that God has put on your life and the purposes of God on your life, whether they're small or big, that they are purposed for you and you alone. Nobody else can do it. A couple weeks ago, there was a $1 billion lottery ticket. No show of hands as to who all bought tickets, because I know y'all were praying and saying, Pastor, I can't wait to win, you know? Because if I did, I would for sure tithe of that $1 billion to New Song Church and praise God, you know? I know you guys would, but none of us won. The truth is this, we have sometimes more trust in the lottery than we do to the giver of our calling. You won the lottery by being you. That's what God did for you. When you were born, there was a purpose attached to you, and only you could make it happen. That's how important your life is. It don't matter if you got a little or a lot. God has a lot invested in you. That's the bottom line. That's what this story is about. The master, Jesus says, is on his way out of town, and he gives responsibilities to three men. One of them, he gives them five talents and says, take care of this. To another person, he gives two, says, take care of this. To another person, he gives one and says, take care of this. And he returns back, and the person with five talents says, hey, you know what? I've got five more for you, master. And he's like, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. That's what the Word of God says. The next one gets a two. And he says, hey, I, I made things happen. I invested it. I had blood, sweat, and tears for my two. 
and I made it into another two. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and be my partner. He gives one. He goes to the person that just got one talent and says, hey, what did you do with it? And the person with one says, ah, I kind of hit it because I know you're kind of strict. I know you kind of got rules and regulations. I know you got to dress up a little bit when you go to church every now and then. I know my attendance in Easter matters and Christmas and I think I need to tip God, right? Isn't that what we do when these weed baskets go around? And we can do it online too. So isn't this a donation, you know? It's not a tithes and offering. It's just a donation. You know, and now they got those giving stations stuck up right at that door, right before we walk out. He's just giving us the bill. Pastor's just giving us the bill. This is not what this is about. But the one with one talent says to him, I secured it. I kept this talent in a good hiding spot, actually what the Word of God says. I made sure it was safe. I lived a safe life. So God, here's my safe life back to you again. And you know what the Master says, Jesus says? He banishes the servant. He takes the one thing from the one person. He didn't take anything from the person with five or two. He took it with the person that had one. Why? Because it's about being faithful to what God has given to us. I want to share with you six observations about this passage. Number one is this. God is the giver of your calling. Verse 15 says this. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. Your job is to steward well what he has given you. How's your budget doing? How's your apartment looking? How's your car driving? How are the bills in your house? How's the talk that's coming out of our mouths? How's our marriage looking? How's our parenting looking? How are we treating others? How are we treating people that are far from God? How are we treating brothers and sisters of Christ? How's our social media account? I guess I shouldn't ask that because we all know. Just log on. Right. You, your job is to steward well what God has given you. A lot of us want more. We're in a culture of more. So we take that culture of more and we take it to God and say, I want more. But God's not going to give you more if you can't handle what you got. How's he going to do that? You know, uh, we're trying to put a a small like Bible study uh, team together. And I think about these people that, you know, I've talked to. Each one of them, I can tell you right now, I've seen them pick up bottles of water. Each one of them, I've seen them serve here. Each one of them, I've seen them do things that never said to me they wanted to be on the stage. You can tell when someone wants to be on the stage and not, it's not the time. You want to know how? Because they're not serving anywhere else. And that's not true of Cleveland. I'm just saying anywhere you go. God is calling us to recognize that our job is to steward well what he's given us. Number two, in that verse, it says, to each according to what? His ability. It got real quiet all of a sudden up in here. (laughs) Each according to his ability. This should set us free. Do you know that God is the giver of ability in our life? And we don't have to impress anybody but God because he is the giver of ability in our life. See, so many of us try to get outside of that, either below, where we're like, we're not going to do anything, I don't care what God says, or it's going beyond what you're capable of doing. And you know what? You cannot handle what is outside of your God-given ability. 
I mean, I, I even, I was, when I was writing this down, I'm like, God, this is so harsh. I'm usually like the Joel Osteen in these points. How do I make it sound like Joel Osteen a little bit more, more positive, right? But the truth is this. If you are outside of your God-given ability, you will have zero fruit. You will not be a happy person. You will not have joy. Whether you made a decision to follow Jesus or not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. I'm talking about you will be outside of the zone where God is blessing. Number two, every life counts. I love that. This story tells us that every person counts. Every single one of them counts. See, I did a little research on talents and uh, to find out what they had uh, been like in Jesus' day. And the talent was a unit of, of weight. I, I did this research uh, during the uh, journey track. And if you haven't been to the journey track, I want to invite you to be there in, in January. And my friend Eric is coming out. Let's give it up for Eric here. He's coming up with some weights. These are his weights. These are tried, tested, and true he got smart this time and brought a chain and a lock and added about four pounds more. What a talent was, come on up here, bud. What a talent was in Jesus' day that it was about 80 pounds of weight. It wasn't about your gifting. You don't have to hold it up just yet. Just yet. You can line it up, though. You can, yeah. Get that, get that rock ready. Yeah, yeah. The talent was a unit of weight, about 80 pounds. How much weight we got there, Eric? 80 pounds plus the chain and the lock, a couple pounds, yeah, right? When it was used as money, the talent was equal to 80 pounds of silver. Now, I thought about buying 80 pounds of silver, but Robin said, hey, uh, we don't have that budget, so you might want to get another idea. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. She didn't say that at all. <laughs> Eric just said, okay, I bet you would, all the way to Sam Silks, right? All the way to Sam Sills. When it was used as, as money, the talent was equal to 80 pounds of silver. I want you to think about that. One talent equals to 80 pounds of silver. One talent was worth about the same as 6,000 denarii. And one denarius was the usual wage paid for a full day of work. It's hard to imagine, but one talent would have easily been 16 years worth of wages. One talent, 80 pounds of silver. See, when we hear the story, we can get used to the fact that it's just one pastor. I see Rachel there. She's got two. I see Eric back there. I see James back there. I see others here. They got five. I only have one. But doesn't this story make a little bit more sense? Go ahead, go ahead. Let's see those biceps there. All right. I want you to hold it up there. <laughs> it makes a difference, doesn't it? See, when we refuse to be good stewards of the, what he's given us, we forget that that little is a lot. Your little is a lot to God. And that's the bottom line. See, it's as precious as silver what you're holding back. What if you had the prayer that was going to heal somebody? What if you had a gift that was supposed to bless this city? What if you're supposed to be sharpening those gifts and you've been too busy playing games? thinking, God, it's just one talent. God, I just don't know where to start. I have all these rules, and I don't want to let you down, God. I, I don't really want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. See, this story makes a lot more sense when you recognize that your life is not as insignificant as you may think. Every life counts. Don't you think, Eric? <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Let's give it up for Eric. He's strong. And he's blocked me quite a bit, too, you know, in basketball. 
The truth is this, guys. Your life matters. Your life counts. Your life is not your own, and that's why it counts. For those of us that need a second chance, here's the next observation. It's never too late for a turnaround. When Jesus is involved, it's never too late to make a turn. I don't care what they say. I don't care what the judge said. I don't care what the lawsuit is. I don't care about bankruptcy. I don't care about divorce. It is never too late for God to have a turnaround testimony in your life. Now, after a long time, notice that it said a long time. See, some of us, we're so scared with what God's given us to actually do something with and take a risk. You don't want to know why? Because we think if we just mess up, then God's, you know, he's going to be right there and just smack us on the side of the head and be like, what do you think you're doing? Some of us just need a Holy Ghost shake away from apathy and just say, wake up. The roses smell good. It's nice and warm in here. Who cares if it's cold outside, right? God has a purpose for you. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Settled accounts with them. Here's two things we're never going to escape. Jesus and our accounts being settled. There is no cruise control on the way to heaven. We are going to give an account for every little big thing that we have done and what we have spoken and how we've acted and everything in between. That includes your pastor too, by the way. I'm going to give an account. So we have to learn that it's never too late to make a turnaround. Today is a new day. Some of us need to hear that. We have a new opportunity today. Well, pastor, I've got 60 years of history, and everybody thinks this is who I am. Well, it's not too late. Pastor, I'm just 12 years old, and I'm just here because my parents forced me to be here. I don't even know what half these terms mean. It's never too early, and I want all the kids to look at me right now. You don't have to grow up. Kids, I want you to look at me real quick. You don't have to grow up to make a difference for Jesus. You can make a difference right where you're at. It don't matter what age you are, you can be used by God right where you're at. Even if you're five years old or if you're 18, it does not matter. God can use you. Number four, God always blesses faithfulness over ability or gifts. Faithfulness over ability or gifts. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you've delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over what? A little. I will set you over much. Wow. God thought five talents was little. Let's keep going. Enter into the joy of your master. Man, that's what I want to hear one day. That's what I want to hear from God one day. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a? Wow. He is not measuring this thing correctly. I thought five was little. Isn't two even more little? It's funny, God doesn't see numbers. He doesn't see first place, second place, third place. He sees our assignments. So when he's looking at us, it's like little text bubbles, like on your iPhone. And he sees what you're supposed to do, your assignments. He's not grading our talents, our gifts. He's saying, have you been obedient to his call? And he keeps going. I've set you over much. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Your availability determines your flourishing. 
Your availability determines your flourishing. Your availability determines your flourishing. What do I mean by that? Say, we can know the will of God for our lives, but if we're not available to it, we're not going to flourish. We can know all there is to know about the Bible and what to do and the promises of God, but if you're not going to do anything about it, you're not going to flourish. See, I know a lot of people who are talented, and they're not flourishing. I know a lot of people that have a lot better gifts, and to be honest, they're not doing anything with it, and they're not flourishing. So is it really about gifts? Is it really about all the things that we think is important, or is it just about availability? Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, well, pastor, you don't understand. It's a little bit more complicated than that. The truth is, God is not worried about the other person who's stopping you from your call. He's worried about you. And there's no excuse that I can have as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, when I get to heaven one day. And I look to God and say, God, here I am. Here's what you've given me. I got 1.5. Is <laughs> 1.5 more to you? There's no excuse that I can have, God, well, I only had 1.5. And, and, you know, really, I didn't really have the looks that Frank Sirianni does, you know? that Italian thing going, the wit, right? I can do things. He had three and a half. He's so good with jokes. I was never good with jokes. God's not worried about Frank. He's saying, Clint, what did you do with what I have given you? The reality is all three of these were faithful servants at one point. Otherwise, why would the master have trusted them in the first place? On the the ride here from Orange to here, I even thought, I wonder if the master switched another task this time to the one with one talent. I wonder if the last assignment that this servant, he had an experience with the master. And he was reprimanded by the master. Because it doesn't make any sense, his response. And I want to read this response first to us. Matthew 25, 23 to, 20, uh, 23 to 25, it says, there's a servant in the message translation with the 2,000 showed how he could also, how he also had doubled his master's investment. His master commanded him, good work, your job did, uh, your, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Verse 24, 25, a servant given 1,000 said, master, I know you have high standards. Wow. How does he know the master has high standards if he hasn't done work for him before? I know you hate careless ways. Wow, this sounds like Jesus speaking to his church, doesn't it? I know that you demand the best, Jesus, and I'm tired and I'm lazy and I don't really want to give my best some days. Wow. And you make no allowances for error. Sounds like the children of Israel. I mean, all Moses did was hit the rock, and he didn't get to go into the promised land. All he wanted was a little bit of water. Jesus, relax. This dude's been following you, helping your people out, bringing them from the desert, from Egypt. Denying his own people that he grew up with, and all of a sudden he can't get into the promised land because he just did a couple of things wrong? Sounds familiar. There's a kingdom of God is not gray. It is clear we say yes or we say no. 
and none of us can hide in heaven. What will be revealed will be revealed either in this life or the life to come. And number five says this, living in fear drives us towards apathy and mediocrity. See, the thing that stopped this servant is where I want to, fo- where I want to focus. I was afraid I might disappoint you, said this servant in verse 25. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. He didn't find a bad hiding place. He found a good hiding place. There was some effort behind this. There was something behind this. It wasn't just some dude that was just leaving his town out there and be like, anybody want to grab it? Go ahead and grab the 80 pounds of silver. I don't care. He hid it. And check this out. Here it is safe and sound to the last cent. God, I'm just being honest with you guys right now. God has rarely asked me to not take a risk when he's calling me to do something. The calling of God is risky. Following God is risky. It requires faith and trust like never before. You may have passed the test in 1973, but have you passed the test last week? You may have done great things for God before, but are you doing great things for God today? You may have been obedient to God 20, 30, five years ago, but are you being obedient to God today? This is where the rubber meets the road. And here's why this is important, because God's best deserves my best. That's the bottom line. You know, when I wake up every day, I don't come in here because we have a great role description and a job description, and I have to be your pastor. That is part of my responsibility. I know that. Don't worry. You know, we're not going anywhere. Praise God. You know? My responsibility is to Jesus first as a follower of Jesus, to be more like him and to give my best because he gave his best for me. I am not pleasing anybody else first, and you should not be pleasing anybody else first but the king. My best praise he deserves, my best gift, my best song, my best time, my best love, my best life, my best desires, my best sacrifice, my best emotion, and I can keep going on and on and on and on and on. God deserves my best. Verse 29, it says this. Jesus keeps going. The story continues. He said, but from the one who has not, in other words, the one who hasn't done anything with what you've been given, even what he has will be taken away. That's how serious stewardship is in the kingdom of God. Don't get it taken away. Amen? Look, I have been in places, guys, where I am not perfect. As your pastor, I'm telling you, I am not perfect. But as long as you keep going back to Jesus and saying, I want to do your will, God. I want to be in your will. Because that's where it's perfect. It's not easy but it's perfect. God will lead you through. See, I don't want what's happened in verse 30 to happen to anybody at New Song Church. That one day we'll be in heaven. We're like, God, I was faithful. I gave every week. I gave money. I served. I did what I had to do. And here's what you gave me, just nothing. The master says, you could have gotten a little bit of interest from it. I mean, you don't have to get one more. You could have gotten a little bit of interest from it. Why didn't you even do that? That's what I want to encourage you to do. Do something. Do a little bit. 
Maybe you can't do something grand. Maybe you're not going to go to China and start to do missions work there. Maybe all you have is the fact that you can write encouraging notes to people. Maybe you're going to be a light in a dark city. Maybe when the snow is falling in January, you're going to be actually a positive person that says, you know what, God, this is an amazing city. You know, if, if, the, if the 80 of us in this room right now actually got a hold of that, people would think there's something wrong with you here in Cleveland. Even if you just did that. So we don't have to have a huge platform to make a difference. Verse 30 says, this, And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, let it not be of anybody here at New Song Church that everybody is faithful to the assignment that God has given to us individually and as a church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that, Lord, even when it's real and true and raw, God, that you are still for us. You are not against us. You are with us. Lord, you're leading us to a place that is better than where we've been, not because of our sake, but of your sake. So, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, would you begin to speak to us individually? Would you begin to minister to us individually? Speak to our lives. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Lord, for those that are far from you in this room right now, Lord, I pray that you would begin to bring them closer and closer and closer to the plan and purposes that you have for them. Jesus, I pray right now for your presence to infiltrate every heart, every life, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, right where you're seated, I just want you to respond to God. Right where you're seated. Just respond to what he's saying. Maybe it has nothing to do with this message. Maybe it's got something to do with this message. Maybe you're far from God and you just need God to show up in your life. Just respond to him. The Holy Spirit is here and he can meet you right where you're